Okay, so good morning. Um, this is our first proper podcast in our series around indoor air quality. Um, my name's James Smurthwaite from Mitsubishi Electric. Um, joined today by Kevin Pocock, uh, one of my colleagues, and also Nathan Wood, who's the Managing Director of Farmwood m and and Ventilation, and also uh, Health and Wellbeing and Buildings Chairman for BESA, which is the Building Engineering Services Association, and also Indoor Environmental Quality Task Force Chairman at GCP Europe. Um, so welcome, Nathan, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning, James. How are you both? You well? Very well, thank you. Yeah. So firstly, uh, Nathan, did you want to talk a little bit about yourself, your background, um, yeah, what you're passionate that. about? Yeah, I, I used to have a bit of a problem with the word passion, but um, it, I think it's fair to say that my, my passion is well and truly air quality, especially indoor air quality. So um, just knocking it back a bit, Farmwood was uh, established 19 years ago by my father, Dave. Um, we we never envisaged that I would be working with him as well, or certainly my, even my sister and the rest of the team here. But we've we've grown organically over the course of 19 years, and in the last five years, um, which coincide or nearly six years, which coincided with the birth of my second child, my, my little boy Rory, um, I set up a LinkedIn profile and just started following different people in ventilation and come across this thing called air quality. Um, and it sort of led on from there, and I remember coming into the office all excited, jumping around as I occasionally do, saying, well, you know, there's this thing, it's air quality, and you know, rather than just the standard stuff of temperature relative, humidity, CO2, there's this whole world of, of pollution and problems. And as soon as I dipped my toe into the, into the world of indoor air quality and air quality, it, it, you know, ignorance is bliss, and sometimes I do wish like I didn't know what I know because I've become that crazy guy that nobody wants to sit next to. Well, when, when you could sit next door to people, anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've we've uh, we've done lots on indoor air quality studies years before the pandemic, before it became fashionable. Um, and I think through that, it's established us as a as a good company that knows what they're on about, uh, which has brought forward. Uh, my works with BESA and GCP and the team at BESA are fantastic and the, and the wellbeing committee are, are, are superb and everybody has got this this drive and passion to do better and it, and it really does have this altruistic charm about it that yes you are improving somebody's air quality but you're improving everybody's health and well-being as well. Which I suppose is, it's always been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds but not everyone's minds but now with the global pandemic and the return to the workplace and life getting back to some sort of normality it's kind of at the forefront of everyone's minds and I suppose I suppose a worry for you really is that whether or not when everyone gets back to the workplace and they're 12 months 24 months down the line whether or not air quality is going to be as important as it's it is at the moment it's being well publicized in the media how how are you kind of finding it at the moment? Are you finding that people are really focusing on it for the long term or is it just a short term fix? It varies. It, it depends. It depends on who you're talking to. I mean, social media, the amazing thing that it is, is also quite damaging, I think, as well, because we've, we've seen recently whereby suddenly you, you've been able to meet outside in parks, uh, out in the fresh air, as they keep calling it. Um, and the overriding view that like I've seen on social media and on, on, on the TV is that it's just young people meeting up with leaving litter everywhere and giving it a really poor perspective because I think if the camera 
was on a was on a drone above, they might look more socially distanced. I mean, yeah, you can't take away the images of the litter of the day because that that is what it is. But certainly, um, COVID has made air pollution visible to the world in such a big, big way. Um, I've never seen so many conversations and articles about ventilation. Um, I mean, going back to when the, the pandemic first hit and the government was struggling to keep up with the supply for ventilators for people in hospital, the amount of people that contacted us because we had the word ventilation in our vehicles and our branding, they thought that we was making ventilators and just explaining the difference between the two things. I mean, it's a massive difference. Um, and I never realized that ventilation it's just such a forgotten art, and it is an art. It's it's a tricky business, um, and in fact, um, David Fries, a visa, he coined ventilation the Cinderella industry, and it it just works so well. It just it just relates really really well because regulation, uh, enforcement around air quality, and the the intangibleness of it. If that is a word, <laughs> well, I it's, did. We it's, know what it means, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, if if you if you go into a building and you turn a light switch on and nothing happens, if a light doesn't come on or you don't hear a sound, you assume that there's a problem. If you turn on a tap and brown water comes out or no water comes out, you know there's a problem. But the air within that space, chances are there's not an air quality monitor in there. It's just unknown, and it's just taken that. The, the air is fresh, you know, this term fresh air. I do have a real problem with it. It is a bugbear of mine. Yeah. Um, but I do understand the need to um, educate the public using terminology that is freely understandable and fresh air is that term. It's just, in my world, when people are talking about opening up doors and windows to allow fresh air in, it may not be fresh air. Yeah. And I think, I, I suppose, really, at the moment, it's, it, like you said, about fresh air. <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that's been publicised, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a lot of the stuff that's been publicised is about the air quality outside, less cars on the road, like, things like that, and the air quality in, in general outdoor environment is better. But we're talking about the indoor air quality, and, and actually, it's still not great outside. It's an improvement, but it's not mm. kind of really good quality, breathable air. And you're talking about making the air in buildings at such a good quality, it's, and there's a notable dis difference to people's health and well-being um, and everything else. And you know, Kevin's probably going to come up with some quite interesting questions around the education sector and how that impacts that particular um, sector, because obviously, air quality and health and environment and performance is quite a quite a big deal for that. So, mm. Kevin, you probably want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, James. Um, it was really interesting, like listening to what Nathan had to say and. Um, how over the last 20 odd years he's noticed um, some organic growth um, amongst his business and, and the inquiries he's getting. Um, I think um, indoor air quality and air quality in general is being pushed up the agenda now, um, probably being driven by COVID, but also other forces as well. Um, I did notice um, a few weeks ago that um, there's uh, been some investment by the mayor of London and um, Bloomberg Philanthropies into some new sensors. They've, they've put like 195 air quality sensors around London, outside hospitals and schools and local mm. authority places. And then they've, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, Nathan, but they, they've, yeah, they've yeah, also yeah. done the Brief London website where people can actually look at that air quality. And I suppose I, I wanted to ask you, indoor air quality is really, really important. Um, but, but the indoor air quality 
you need to do something to that. The, the outdoor air quality, I think there's no um, there's no debate really about the fact that air quality in London is poor. And I've seen some some horrendous figures of the financial cost of that in London alone over the last few weeks. I just wondered sort of what your thoughts were on all that. Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting. The Breathe London campaign, I mean, um, Sadiq Khan has been spending huge sums of money uh, doing some really, really good studies. Um, we was part of one a few years back whereby he was looking into the practicalities of real life scenarios um, for clean air tech or air purifiers being used in nurseries uh, with some fantastic consultants and the reports come out and he publishes them and they're widely available. But after the Guardian's run the story about them and the newspapers have put the stories through, I talk to people about them at, at, at webinars and what used to be seminars and they look at me, oh, where did we find that? And it's like, you know, there's, there's big studies that are out there, but I feel sometimes that the money spent is best spent with action. You know, with, with air pollution, I've got, I've, I've got a bit geeky and I started looking into the history of air pollution back to the 1950s. And it's really interesting that some of the technologies and the, and the way that we sense air pollution is still being used today. Um, you know, back then we didn't have Arduinos and, and Raspberry Pis and all of these different sensing technologies. With the Breathe London, they are actively using low-cost air quality sensors outside to create this this map. And we, we've we've used we're using one of the uh, clarity sensors that's part of that Breathe London with a study uh, with with BISA at uh, some local schools. Although they're cheap, you're still talking a thousand pounds a sensor. Um, so when you're looking at indoor environments and the fact that the air inside your space will come from outside, so you need to condition that air, be that with filters, heating, cooling, um, but also trying to get people back into a building when it's the people themselves at the moment that are the potential problem with COVID and how you make them safe. So yes, we've got this, this amazing um, immunization going on and hands face space ventilates face coverings but the overwhelming agree agreement at the moment coming through from all corners of the world is that it's the it's the uh, the risk of covid via um, airborne particles over far more than what we were first doing with contact points and, and hygiene so obviously there's current guidelines in place for air quality in the workplace. Is is that now going to be changing as a result of that? Because obviously, you know, guidelines take a long time to change and, and sometimes there's something that happens in the work. Yeah, well, years, potentially decades. Um, obviously things change in the world that then force people to make these quite abrupt um, amendments to policies and, and guidelines. So is, is that changing at the moment with quality yes. air quality within the workplace? It It is, yeah. So... Before, before COVID, there was lots of action and call for changes in terms of approved document F, L and F in terms of energy efficiency of buildings, fire risk and ventilation, because they're all, they all hand in hand. But the, the environment bill that was being pushed through that should have been published earlier this year has been delayed because of COVID and other issues. But as you say, it takes so long for standards to come about. And there is very good reason for that. They need to be on point. There's lots of people that need to get involved. There's a huge amount of funding that needs to be raised. But even looking back to 
the the schools regulations when BB 101 came out, Building Bulletin 101. I spoke to one of the main people involved there uh, at, a, at a seminar, and uh, I said, oh, "BB 101's come out fantastic." You know, I've seen your name mentioned. You know, can we can we discuss this? And he literally stopped me in my tracks and just said, "You know, it's out of date already. It shouldn't have been published with this out of date information." But things take time. However, we're already looking at draft amendments going forward. And then that's that's at a technical level, that's at you know consultant level, industry level, let alone when it has to trickle down to Joe Public, if you like. So in the terms of when we're talking about CO2, relative humidity and temperature, they're pretty much a day-to-day -day figure that people would get a grip of. When you start talking about parts per billion micrograms per meters cubed, what the hell does that mean? You know, what does that mean to me? And making it relatable with um, a traffic light system, and there's lots, there's lots of standards coming through from well-being groups and companies and organisations. I'll try not to name them, um, but whereby if you was going into a restaurant, you could look at the front, the, the front window, or online, and you could see like a, a hygiene rating, and it's whether or not the call for buildings to actually showcase what their indoor air quality and hygiene is like uh, at an early stage. So before you go to a restaurant, you could you could go online, you could book your table, you could actually see the last time that that table would have been cleaned, the gap between the last person and you coming in. If you're hot desking in an office, you know has it been cleaned between the last person and you coming in? What's the air quality like? Because we're, we're trying to reactivate spaces and buildings you want to book out a meeting room, the chances are that that meeting room is going to be limited to less people than what it would normally take. Just to digress, when we talk about um, uh, dentists, the fallow time between patients because they might have been conducting uh, aerosol generating procedures, AGPs, it's the same in a meeting room. Although you're not going through a procedure, you're talking, you're breathing, you might have been shouting. You know, And we know <laughs> through these super spreading episodes, they're mainly through people shouting, singing, uh, and alike. That sounds like most of our meetings, to be honest. <laughs> Showing them the singing part of it. But um, do you think anyone will actually ever go into a meeting room again or a restaurant again if they can see the sort of air quality of that? You know, sometimes ignorance is bliss a little bit, I suppose, and, and there's, right. there's kind of a acceptable level. But if people really know just how bad the air quality is, and I, I know I spoke to, to a friend of mine, I actually went to university with a, a, a number of years ago, and um, he works for an air quality business as well and it's in london and he showed me some of the stats on the underground for instance of just how bad the air quality is on london underground and you know how many millions of people billions of people use that per year i think if they really understood just how bad it is in certain areas mm -hmm. but you know whether or not they would actually get back to it but um yeah it that that's unbelievable the technology's coming to to be able to actually look that far ahead i know that i know there's there's certain technology manufacturers quite well known ones um, who make phones and watches and such like that mm. you know the technology is coming to actually better look on those devices to see what the quality of the air is in, in the area that you're in so yeah. um it's coming i think it's going to be more of a public they'll have a much more understanding of what's going on yeah i mean again before before covid there's a few organizations that actually put out an app where you could navigate through london and it, it was only london that it, it concentrated on where it would give you the the cleanest air quality routes to walk around london and it, and it basically just avoided main roads and took you through parks and such. But I think it's important to remember that even if tomorrow we woke up and the UK did not have any 
um, sources of air pollution coming from the UK. We would have weekly, if not daily, episodes of air pollution coming from the continent. I mean, you've only got to look at the Sahara sand that comes over. You know, we suddenly have these orange skies and the cars covered in dust. The, the size of the particles of sand is significantly bigger than what we're worried about today with COVID. So, you know, we need to take that on board as well. So it is a global issue that we need to address. Nathan, um, probably I, I wondered if it might be worth um, drilling down into some basics in terms of um, indoor air quality. So, um, for example, if, 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 you've got, um, if you've got a building, for, I, I'm particularly interested in schools and education. Um, mm. What are the things you're sort of looking at with indoor air quality, what what are, what are you trying to control? Um, so I think it's quite a broad subject. Um, obviously, people are focusing a bit more on viruses now, but are there any other things that can sort of affect human performance or um, yeah, totally. output in, in, in when they're in a building? Yeah, well, for, for some time we have been looking at, at CO2, and CO2 is a good model to look at when you're looking at people's cognitive ability. But it, it, it goes to a more basic level than that. Air, air quality affects people's mood, okay? And I, I know if I'm in a good mood, I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to get really productive. I'm going to get loads of stuff done. If I'm down, if I'm, if I'm having a down day, which I very rarely do, my glass is very much half full, it's... It's, it, it, it affects everything about you. And without question, high concentrations of CO2, people relate to with, with drowsiness. But it does have a, a marked effect on your cognitive ability. And by that, it's, it's your, it's your decision-making, it's, uh, it's your response times. So it, it is your mood, and it falls down to that mental health and, and the awareness around uh, people's mental health. And it's, it's never been higher on our agenda. I mean, certainly with my own children being home from school and homeschooling, it, it really has literally brought it home and seeing how the effects of, of, of young children, you know, not being at school, not seeing their friends, has a huge effect on them. So if we are trying to reactivate our buildings, reactivate our schools, universities, colleges, it's vital that if we are sending people back into these buildings that the air quality is monitored and it's not just monitored on a rudimental basic level in terms of temperature relative humidity and co2 i mean yes it's got to be comfortable it's got to be a good environment to go back to but if, if you monitor the the rest of the pollutants in terms of vocs um so volatile organic compounds i mean the most simple way i can explain that to people is if they buy a tin of paint sometimes it will say breathe easy I hope that's not naming any brands or anything but you know there'll be a VOC reference on the back of it so it's, it's the smells you know furniture can off gas formaldehydes and all of these awful contaminants and in fact nurseries have one of the high highest VOC concentration right because of the plastics and the the bright bold colors and the the, uh, the materials that they use so we need to address VOCs we need to look at ozone you know what is naturally occurring in the air um, NO2, particulate matter. You know, what's particulate matter? Well, it's dust. It's, it's, everybody's probably seen that lovely diagram of the human hair and the grain of sand, and then it brings it down to the, the different particulate levels. But because sensing technolo technology has improved so much and so quickly, that the days of worrying about PM10 and PM2.5, it's now down to PM1 and ultrafines, and being able to accurately monitor ultrafine particles. 
Um, and I quite often refer to uh, a study that was carried out whereby um, a group of scientists and doctors wanted to see uh, the effects of ultrafine particles on the body. So they, they got some human volunteers and some not so voluntary rats or mice and uh, they got this very clever machine and they atomized um, some particles of gold uh, down to ultrafine size and they got the, uh, the human volunteers to breathe them in for 15 minutes and the same applied to the to the to the rats or the mice and then they took blood samples and urine samples from the humans for about three months if not longer and the same for the mice uh, which unfortunately then were, were investigated a bit more thoroughly um, they found that in the human volunteers ultrafine particles of gold remained in their urine up to three months later so it's clear that these ultrafine particles uh, lungs into the bloodstream and travel through to every single part of your body um, and in the, in the in the lab rats or the lab mice when they were dissected and looked through surely enough the particles were found in every single part of their body so whilst we're worried about ultrafine particles it's it's now falling down to what what's what's the tox what's the toxic nature of these particles and and depending on the type of toxins that we breathe in, has a huge effect on the impact on our bodies. So we know that there's been some fantastic studies for many, many years with the effects of air pollution. Anything from hair loss to Alzheimer's to stunted lung growth in children. Um, uh, Ian Mudway from, uh, I'm gonna say Kings, might be Imperial, I think it's Kings, um, stated that um, children growing up in polluted areas um, will have reduced lung function and somebody asked by how much and he, at first he said by about the size of a chicken egg and then he came back and said oh no it's actually about the size of two chicken eggs per lung and when you think of the size of a child and the size of a chicken egg that's a huge difference that's massive so when we're talking about you know cognitive behavior we're talking about people that have actually made it through and got to university and college and further education it starts it's more important in a way when children are developing Really, really interesting what you just said, um, mm. Nathan. I, I sort of, I, I, what I picked up on a point about the VOCs and nurseries, and you said that um, a lot of the stuff in there is plastic. I suppose it's, I don't know, if when you get a new car and you get that new car smell, there's probably VOCs yes. all over the car. Um, and I've been dealing with a with a new nursery chain that's just just started in London called N Family, um, and they actually don't put plastic toys in the nurseries. They use advanced um, filtration um, mm -hmm. on, on to, to maintain a, a good indoor air quality in there. They actually use that as a as a promotional tool for people um, to use their nurseries. They're really really high end, um, and, and we we've had some discussions um, in our business about like whether or not some some of these businesses that can afford afford to invest will start seeing in, increased inquiries and be able to actually uh, almost uh, use it as a benefit of the, of the indoor totally. the indoor air yeah, quality. Totally. But let's let's go a step further. So I've been banging the drum against Ofsted and other uh, educational uh, grading organisations because people actively move home into a catchment area for a school or a college to, to, to get their children into them, them, them better schools. 
if you knew that yes that school had good grades uh, and the facilities were great and the teaching was great would you still move there if you was moving your children and your family into a home of an area with poor air pollution or indeed if the the air pollution in and around that school was poor because if the chances are if it's in and around the school the air quality within the school is going to be bad as well and with the development of these amazing academies with these normally massively glass fascia buildings um, you know when if you've got an indoor pollutant and then suddenly you add a load of sunshine through that builds up uh, secondary more harmful pollutants you know you're you're increasing the, the risk of increased ozone you know have they got uh, a no idle zone policy outside the school which which way did they allow the staff's cars if they have got a car park are they allowed to reverse up to the building or do they have to drive up because they know the direction of the exhaust have they got you know the, the option for EV charging um, these academies are they look awesome they normally have fantastic ventilation systems um, we've contacted several of our local academies uh, we work directly for the manufacturer of the ventilation systems that are on the roof and um, we're, we're, we're being turned away we're not even saying that we would charge for these services during covid it's just a case of offering them some guidance and we and we know the systems but during the evening back before the pandemic when i was taking my son to a, a football game up there you could hear the harmonics coming off of the uh the invert drive motors running at eight o'clock at night when the school shut so Schools could be a lot more savvy in terms of controls and systems and such, but I'm just hoping now that with all of the guidance around air uh, ventilation and dilution of the pollutants in the spaces and the requirements for 10 or 15 litres per second per person, you know, as, as a ventilation company, I know about that. Whoever's looking after those systems, I assume that they know ventilation systems because gone are the days where there's a, you know, a, a fan one, fan two, hands hand switch over and a time clock you know you're talking about fully integrated bms systems and the 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 drive with newer buildings and academies and such is that the energy efficiency almost needs has almost taken over the need for adequate ventilation so there's quite a lot of conversation where you're either on the left or the right and they go against each other but there are ways that you can use modern systems, modern technology, modern controls in a very simplistic way to ensure that yes you are meeting the energy objectives but also good indoor air quality. That's really really interesting uh, Nathan. I, I, I've, I've, I've actually thought that in the past like why do Ofsted not not actually grade, grade schools in accordance to air quality? Yeah um, exactly. It, it's, it's weird I suppose you only I, I think the one time I really notice air quality out, outside particularly I don't know if you've ever been skiing but when you're high up in the mountains the air's so clean when you when a no car, it's not no it's well, not it feels so it, let me jump in it. yeah it you feels can it. smell the I, cars yeah but it's it's the log burning that you can smell normally I, right, I do yeah, yeah. I, cycling in France and you get up these lovely mountains and you're at the top and you're and I'm gasping for breath most of my friends aren't but <laughs> I turn around and there's this lovely calf and you look out the top of it and it's belching out wood smoke yeah and I, I don't want to go near the place you know because it you know there's there's a lot to do with log, log burning and wood stoves and stuff we'll leave that for another day maybe but yeah certainly um i done a post on on uh linkedin the other day i took my dog for a walk down the beach i'm fortunate to live near the coast 
and it was a lovely crisp what you would describe as a lovely fresh morning at the beach and I look across to the horizon and there's these massive container ships belching out black smoke you know so it's this this uh, this uh, fresh air I, I think it was found off of some the cleanest air ever recorded was found off of an exploration ship in Antarctica I think or somewhere you know so remote but even they would have episodes from from the rest of the world coming across I remember um, listening to a, a podcast um, on BBC iPlayer with Rosamund Adu, Kissy Deborah, um, mm. who I know you've you've done some work with. Um, I'm good friends with Ros, yeah. And they were talking about um, this cruise ship terminal that was planned in London. Have you heard about this? That they were going to bring in a load of um, load of cruise ship docking into, into London, and, and the actual pollution from those yeah. ships is staggering. Like, I can't, I, they, they equated it to number of trucks and I was just absolutely floored with the amount. Yeah, see, yeah, I think I remember, and they actually filter, they actually, was they gonna come up the Thames or something as well, yeah. like this big promo thing, yeah. And they actually use the temp, the water in the Thames as a filter for the pollution as well. So they're actually f using the water to filter, rather than it going into there, it goes into the water. Um, and actually the dock, the dock near me where I live, um, it was announced just the other day on the news that there's going to be a, a cargo-only uh, shipping company coming that's going to go from where I live to Calais, and it's going to create so many jobs. And I'm like, am I really going to go on social media and start putting this down there when our area could do with more jobs? But it's just going to bring so much pollution directly into where where in and around where I live. Um, and uh, again, they say they say Portsmouth is one of the most one of the worst for indoor air quality because of the amount amount of shipping and I, I don't know if you watched it but if you, uh, it, this is sort of bringing up massive alarm bells for me I, I watched um, Sea Spiracy last night on Netflix which uh, is like number four in I'm the it it's it, there's so many similarities with the microplastics and the nets and stuff like that in, in my head I'm thinking the same thing is happening with with pollution isn't it it's yeah it's it's did, it's did mention the did they mention the GPGP the Great Pacific Garbage Patch yeah yeah yeah. yeah, see that got me bigger than France. This floating mass. Um, but again, microplastics are in the air. You know, they've been found on mountain tops and everywhere, and it's not come from birds that have eaten fish and droppings and everything else. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a whole other level. But I, I do get the. There was a, a good debate on 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 Twitter about sea spiracy and, and one side in the severe. But I said, well, you know, we we don't know about any sides at the moment, but. When we bring in, when we bring in the air pollution message, and, and you mentioned uh, Rosamond, um, I, I remember seeing Ros and learning about her story, probably four years ago now, maybe longer. Nathan, uh, for those hmm. that aren't familiar, are you able just to explain a bit about Rosamond, if that's okay? Yeah, um, it's it's a very very uh, emotional, sad story. So, Rosamond Adukisi Deborah, um, her daughter developed asthma, a bad case of asthma. Um, she lived in London on the South Circular and she walked to school along the South Circular and her school was very close to the area as well. So she she, she walked and visited uh, a school in, in terrible levels of pollution. She developed asthma, uh, very, very chronic asthma. And over the course of several years, she was admitted uh, into hospital 
as a direct result of asthma attacks. Uh, and the, the I won't go into the level of detail with her case, but certainly it was found that the spikes in localized air pollution in and around her area uh, correlated almost perfectly with her hospitalizations and uh, comas that she was uh, either induced into or for safety measures. And uh, ultimately, uh, young Ella passed away. Um, her her mum, Ros, has been fighting uh, an inquest for, for many, many years uh, into her daughter's death. And just before Christmas last year, she um, she went through to the high courts and uh, she's become the first person to have air pollution as a cause of death on her death certificate. It contributive factor, should I say, in in, in, a, in along with asthma. Um, and it was really difficult for me to to get involved with Rosamond because it, it was a case that when I went to these seminars and she was talking so powerfully and openly about the passing of her daughter. You know, as a, as a business guy, and that's what I was there for. Let's be honest, I was there to to listen to what people are talking about air pollution and what their concerns were and what systems that we could look to to use and adopt and and push forward. You know, how the hell do you go up to somebody with a business card and go, oh hi, you know, I do ventilation. Let's talk. It wasn't about that. So it took it took a good few years for me to to actually connect with Roz and. I'm, I'm delighted, you know, we, we have become friends. We WhatsApp, we talk a lot, we share lots of information. And she's such an amazing woman that she can talk so openly about her, you know, the, a person of her talk. She's, she's, got, she's got two other kids as well and she, she, she talks about their emotions and she tweets very private images on, on Twitter and social media just to, pro not to promote, but to, to, to show the reality and, and the devastating effects that air pollution can have on people um, and as you know I've, I've got two young boys myself and the anguish and when you see what people go through it just makes it so real and I think her battle and what she's going through and what she continues to go through because she's become she's got the um, uh, Ella Roberta Foundation she's pushing with uh, committees um, she's the, uh, now the UK's World Health Organization ambassador for clean air in the UK, um, and she's she's doing some amazing things that she really sh shouldn't be doing, shouldn't have to do. You know, Ella should not have died, and whatever comes off the back of that story, hopefully, will set a benchmark for the government to finally do things. Because the, the 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 UK government has been taken this court several times by Client Earth. And lost, where the um, the judge found the UK's actions unlawful, and there's a fantastic. Please do go and look it up. There's a fantastic um, uh, YouTube video of I can't remember the guy's name now. I want to call him Simon. It's not Simon. Simon's Clean Air London. Um, of the the CEO, I think, of Client Earth, where he talks about how they take the the UK courts, uh, the UK government's courts, and they were so cocky that they just sat back and just said, you know, yes, we know that we're in breach, but we don't intend to do anything about it until 2030. And the way that this solicitor's putting it across, um, I, I really would recommend putting that out. Maybe we can find a link to share on that as well. But yeah, you know, who knew that our government had been taken to court several times and lost, 
I mean, certainly in my, my area of Kent where I live, people just aren't aware of the problems. There's, a, there's a, an air quality management area, not 300 yards from my office. DEFRA approved, probably 80,000 pounds worth of kit. Yes, the data's put online. But when there's crazy spikes in air pollution, and I run down there with all my test equipment to check out whether it's true or not, and then I'm standing there in this highly polluted zone going, Christ, yeah, it's really bad. We really should get out of here. You know, we shouldn't be stood here. But there's a nursing home, an elder care facility. There's a row of terrace houses extremely close to the road. And they're not doing anything about raising awareness around that, uh, around that air quality management area. And yet, there's a building development for new homes at one end of the road and a building development for homes in another school at the other end. Just, just so, adding, adding more and more to, to, to what's going on. And I, I, Nathan, I, I just want to say, I know you said, said you went to these um, sem seminars um, and Rosamond there, but you are coming across as, uh, as someone who genuinely cares about this. I mean, not once have we talked about equipment or anything like that. I think... I think it's really important that, and it's brilliant that at the start of this series on indoor air quality, we're talking about the root of the problem and the real big issues. Um, I mean, later on we might want to talk about how we can control that, but but it is such a massive, massive issue. So I, I, I suppose, really, Nathan, what's becoming quite apparent here is that there there is a problem in the in the environment, and air quality isn't great at the moment. And, and obviously, the UK is going through a a massive green recovery. Um, to try and hopefully put more electric products into the market that means there's not so many emissions so that the, the general quality of the air and the environment is going to improve over time but it's not going to be a quick fix it's not going to be something that's going to happen this year next year in the next 10 years in all reality so what can we do i mean pr probably st start at home really because we're all most of us at mm -hmm. home at the moment what can we do to improve air quality in our homes um i, I mean i suffer from hay fever that that means i get asthma loads of people i know are getting the same sorts of things so is there quick fixes i can do at home is there small things that i can make adjustments to to make an improvement yeah change bad habits I'm, and i'm stealing this from a good friend of mine he, and if you listen to this you know who he is um we've got to change our habits so we we create so much problem to our, so many problems to our indoor environment it's unreal from when we get up in the morning, when we wash or when we shower, you know, we're creating tons of humidity and a lot of heat. We then come out, we then get dressed, we then spray deodorants, hairspray, hair gels, you know, aftershave or perfume. So we're creating lots of VOCs and gases in the air. You know, you, you then go through to the kitchen, you pop your toast on, you might burn your toast. There you go, there's a load more uh, toxic uh, issues coming up into the air as well. You might do bacon. There's loads of studies on um, the fact that cooking bacon is a carcinogenic and everything else. You know. Don't oh, take don't away my bacon, Nathan. I know. Sorry. Yeah. Come I mean, on. We won't go on to the brown or red sauce debate, but yeah, certainly the the thing with, with bacon. And then you know you're you're going to open up your windows. You 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 know you might have burnt your toast. The first thing you do, you open a door, you open a window. If you have got a ventilation system. You know that may have gone into boost if the if it's got a, a humidity sensor on it. You know, is it working? Is it serviceable? Do you use it? Have you turned it off? You know, um, a lot of homes that we visit, um, these new sort of high-rise blocks of apartments, they may just have a standard through the wall extract fan. They may have a mechanical heat recovery. Um, they might have air conditioning. 
but are they working in harmony to deliver the best quality air or is it user interface error? You know, are they set up wrong? Um, so there's so much that we do in our home and then they'd say that this was a normal world and we left for work. We close the door, chances are we're not gonna leave a window open. We then come back and then we sort of repeat that cycle. So there's lots of key things you can do. You can use, you know, roll-on deodorants. I'm not a fan of roll-on deodorants, plenty of sticky things, but you know, it, there's lots of things you can do. You know, the cleaning products that you use within your home. You know, there's lots of uh, beneficial alternatives that you can use. Um, there's uh, lots of talk with plants, and we use a lot of plants in our office, mainly for a, a visual thing rather than a, an, air, an air quality side of things. But there's there was lots of studies that people talk about from from NASA and these plant pots whereby the uh, the air is drawn in through the roots rather than the leaves because there's more absorption and everything else. But I, I nicked one of my, my boy's books on photosynthesis for dummies um, and the fact that some plants, a majority of plants at night, reverse photosynthesize. Okay. So you're thinking that you're using them as a benefit to, uh, to take in CO2 and give off oxygen, but at night that can reverse in very, very small amounts. But if you're filling your place like a greenhouse, you know, it can have an effect. And just while we're talking about that, it's really important, and I'm preaching this a lot at the moment. When we're talking about CO2, the, the average levels of CO2 in, in the UK and globally are rising, and they're rising at quite an alarming rate. But most people talk about this benchmark level of 400 ppm. Now, when we talk about that in, in a percentage, and there's lots of different things in our air but when we're talking about a safe level of co2 people talk about this sort of 800 ppm that's 0.08 percent of the concentration in our air and just by that going up to, to 0.1 percent you know a thousand ppm you know that's when we start people start talking about danger levels in terms of aerosolized particles but some some school guidance goes up to a, a 5,000 ppm you know but this is where I'm trying to relate it in terms of uh, layman's terms so Joe Public can understand it. When you're talking about, you know, just a change from 0.04% to 0.1% of the air that you're breathing can have an effect on your health and well-being. So air quality is really, really tricky to control. However, in homes, in offices, in indoor spaces, with the right equipment and the right monitoring, it can become this harmonious system. Good. <laughs> Probably the best way I've heard it. And in terms of that equipment then really, that's that's just the right ventilation kit, the right filtration. And something I was gonna ask when you're talking about the homes really, it's the argument of window open, window closed. Like what mm. what's what's the best for that that type of scenario? Because we have the window open most of the time here. Just you know, it's but not with heating on, obviously. But mm -hmm. um just, just to get what you classed earlier on as fresh air, but it's obviously not that fresh, but is it fresher than the air in a yeah. house? That's the debate. That's really. the thing. I mean, um, Professor Kathy Noakes done an amazing presentation where she showed, um, I believe it was a porter cabin surrounded by bales of hay and the effects on different wind direction. On And they were, meant, they were meant to replicate buildings and the different things and window airing and options and stuff. Um, and even with schools, there was a lot of talk about them opening up windows and window airing. Um, a lot of schools can't open their windows because they're either faulty, they've been painted shut or screwed shut, or if they did get them open, they would never get them closed again. 
Uh, in more modern schools, they might be controlled via a, uh, an automated RAM or a sensor. Um, but in your home, you do have a lot more control of it. And, and the NHS video uh, online that says hands, face, space, and ventilate, they open up a window and they say, you know, short, sharp bursts. And I do agree with that. It's a good message. I don't agree with so much that the particles magically make their way to the window. But um, certainly, yes, window airing will improve, um, will reduce, sorry, the risk of, of COVID because you are diluting that, that air within the space. It's not guaranteed, though. It really isn't. And at my children's school, where, where my, my boys go to the same school, because of the shape of the building and the classrooms being around the, the, the perimeter of like a circle, if you like, or a hexagon sort of shape, they've only got windows on one side and all of the doors open internally. So although they're opening up the windows, the chances are that some of the classrooms on one side of the building might be getting air pushed into them, but the ones on the other side will be quite stagnant. Um, and when you're talking about 32 kids in a classroom, um, which probably should be, if that was an office, it would probably be reduced to at least half that, if not 10 people, without mechanical ventilation. Um, some of the classrooms have uh, air conditioning. Um, it's, it's not the best scenario, but it's the best of what we can do now. So going forward from the pandemic, I'm hoping to see a lot more support, funding, less red tape, maybe some initiatives to reduce uh, taxation on ventilation and air conditioning and equipment uh, to allow schools to be able to put them forward. And just to touch on one point as well, um, the Department for Education over the last few years has inspected every UK school. They know which schools need critical works all the way through to just ones that need basic bits and pieces doing. So they know the condition of UK schools. I, I'm, I'm not aware if, if they do actually cover what ventilation they have. I, I believe it's quite a detailed report, so I'd like to think they would do. However, they won't publish the data because it gives contractors a competitive edge to tender for the works. I mean, that, mean, that, mean, that makes no sense to me, especially when the government needed PPE. They, they as long as people were on their, their, their framework, they could just issue millions of pounds to, to contractors to supply PPE, some of which we couldn't use because it wasn't to UK standards. But yet, we need to reactivate our schools the Department for Education knows the, the quality of, of our school buildings and yet won't publish or share the data. I'll leave that one there. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good place to close, I suppose. So, um, Nathan, I just want to say an absolute massive thank you for coming on today. It's been Welcome. really, 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 really helpful, really insightful. Um, loads of stuff that we haven't thought about and loads of stuff we're probably going to be thinking about now. And mm. I'd love to say I won't stop cooking bacon, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I probably limit the amount of times I do it now I'm at home and make sure we got the windows open and doing everything else you've spoken about. But, um, you know, for myself and Kevin, um, it's it's been fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, good luck with everything you're doing and um, keep fighting the cause for air quality. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. You're welcome.